Now, would you turn with me, please, to that portion of God's Word that we read? The book of Genesis in chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. And we read again the words that we have, the well-known words, in verse 14. Genesis chapter 22. And Verse 14, and Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. You will notice from the marginal reference in the Bible, the direct transliteration of what Jehovah Jiri is. It is the Lord will see. The Lord will see, or the Lord will provide. And what the Lord sees, he will provide accordingly. In other words, what we are being told here is that the Lord is the one who, in his providence, deals with all things. Jehovah Jiri was not merely the name of a place, although it was the name of a place. Jehovah Jiri here is a divine revelation of who God himself is. Jehovah Jiri. Jehovah the one who is absolute, we are told there of it in verse 14, in the mount of the Lord. You'll notice there that the word Lord is, is capitalized. Now, our authorized version very helpfully uses capitalization for Lord when, it, when it's speaking about Jehovah. When it's speaking about the one who is the covenant God. The one who is from everlasting on to everlasting God. And he is the one that will provide. You know, it's often the case as man, we don't always realize and recognize our, our emptiness and our condition before the Lord. And uh, we should always be reminded of that when we seek the Lord's face in prayer. We are asking and we are beseeching that one outside of ourselves, because of our own inadequacy, will be the one who will provide our, our daily needs. And the one who will give unto us uh, that which is needful and necessary for us. You have your needs this morning. I have my needs this morning. 
the elders have their needs this morning. We are those who are needy. But friends, we must remember that the Lord is always pointing us to the one who alone is the provision and the satisfaction of those needs. And this is the account that we have brought before us here, that the Lord was pointing Abraham to a provision, and that was symbolic of a greater provision. It was, of course, the provision of Christ himself. I want us to consider a number of things uh, this morning uh, to do with this provision, this this providence uh, summed up in Jehovah Jiri. The first thing we notice here in verse 14, and in, indeed back in this chapter, is the, the timing of this provision. The timing of this provision. Now you'll notice from verse 3 that this was a, a highly emotional time in the, the life of our father Abraham. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took the two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. You see, this, this vision, this dream came to Abraham in the night in the darkness and in the, uh, the time of uh, desolation. And God had brought to Abraham the, the need to, to sacrifice his son, his, his only son. Now, let me say this before we move on any further. There are those, and they will say that this whole account that we have of Abraham it wasn't a trial at all. Uh, they will tell you that Abraham knew uh, that uh, Isaac was, was going to be saved. They will tell you that, uh, therefore, that what Abraham entered into uh, was not a trial. It was not a, a temptation in that sense of the word. Well, yes, Abraham knew that Isaac would be alive. He would be resurrected from the dead. It was a trial nonetheless. And I think it was a well-known minister, even from these, these islands, who, who had once well summed it up. He said, a trial is a trial when you can speak to no one else of it. Here was a time of emotion. The one who was closest to Abraham, his own wife, he, he didn't tell her. He didn't share that with her. Uh, his, his son, his, his only son, he didn't share it with him. He couldn't share it with him. The servants, and, and these were trusted servants, they, they had been chosen by him. He didn't tell them. Oh, friends, what we have here is indeed a trial. And those 
sleeping hours when this dream came to Abraham. And he arose early in the morning. Can you imagine what the emotion was as he comes into this, this great plight? Here was one who was now old, and he has now been brought into this place of trial. And we are told in verse 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. You see, when this trial came, not for one moment did Abraham doubt. Not for one moment does it appear that he began to consider ways to come out of this trial and out of this temptation. In all of its emotion, and it is intensely emotional, Abraham is looking onto the Lord. Now, we do know something of Isaac. Isaac will have known the, the system of sacrifices. Isaac will have been brought up in family worship, and he will have been brought up with the, the outward uh, ordinances of the church of his day. And he knew that when uh, the wood was gathered, he, he knew uh, when they were heading out, that it was out to the place of sacrifice. And even in the mind of Isaac, there was this expectation that this is where he was going. Now, Abraham, as he looked on Isaac, knew that Isaac was expecting that sacrifice. And through the mind of Abraham, surely would have been the thoughts, the sacrifice that he is thinking of. Little does he know it is of himself. It was an emotional time. But you'll notice that when this provision comes, when Jehovah Jiri comes, when the, the Lord will provide and the Lord will see comes, you'll notice here that there is an exactness about this time. We are told that the, the knife was, was in Abraham's hand. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. And the knife was in Abraham's hand. And surely there was thoughts going through the mind of Abraham. Surely there was this temptation going through his mind. Surely there was this trial going through his mind. I believe that the Lord will provide himself a lamb. But here the knife is raised. What was the gracious God doing? The gracious God was trying Abraham. This morning, friends, you might be here and you're being tried. And the trial is, is so great that uh, there might be a case that you cannot share that burden with anyone else. Oh, whatever that trial is. 
Maybe it is the remembrance of past sin. And, and you cannot understand how the Lord is the Lord has dealt with you and you, and you have laid your, your confidence and your hope and your trust upon him. How that, that past sin seems to be coming up to your conscience. And it, it, it's there upon your mind. Well, it is, of course, friends, a case that ultimately what the Lord is, is using this for, it's, 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 it's for your sanctification. And, and, and it's, it's, it's trying you as, as gold is tried in the fire. And that can be a difficult thing to understand. And it can be uh, indeed uh, even a, 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 a difficult word to hear from a pulpit. And you're saying, how do I, how do I deal with this trial? Well, if that is the trial that you have, that specific trial that I've just mentioned, then you have to, to lay hold upon the promise of God. And the laying hold upon that promise is this, that it is the blood of Jesus Christ, as we said, that cleanseth us from all sin, all of it. And the, the, the sin that is referred to there, it's the guilt of the sin. The guilt of the sin. The liability of that sin before God. That's what, what the blood of Christ clears us from. And friends, if the blood of Christ has cleared us from the guilt of that sin, then you have no right to bring that sin up to your mind again. But when the Lord comes and he, he tries us, it, it's indeed for our, our Christian advancement. And here at this point, when the knife was raised, these words come. Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. So close was that point brought. It was emotional. It came at that time of emotion. It came at the exact time. Then you see the, the example of the promise. Where was Isaac? He was lying on the altar of God's judgment. Oh, what a picture that is. What a picture that is of one that is greater than Isaac. Even Christ himself who is the substitute. No wonder that the Baptist would speak about, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. You see, he was looking back, and he was looking back to all that had gone before, and he was saying, this is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. You see, he was proved to be a substitute. And Paul, writing to the Galatians in chapter 4, says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth a son made of a woman, made under the law. 
You know, that makes all the difference. It wasn't an angel that was sent. Because the fallen angels, well, they could never be redeemed. They were incapable of salvation. They were in a lost eternity forevermore. And no wonder that the angels, we are told, desire to look into these things. They desire to look into the truth of the gospel. That Christ was indeed born of a woman, was bone of our bone, and flesh of our flesh. Our friends, what of Isaac this day if no lamb was provided? Well, what of Isaac of this day if there was no lamb of God that take it away the sin of the world that was provided? Well, friends, for men and women outside of Jesus Christ, they are still at this point in time outside of him. They are like Isaac without a lamb that is provided. God comes and he says, Jehovah Jireh. Well, what if there was no Jehovah Jireh? Well, friends, we know what would happen. There is the timing here. It was emotional, it was exact, and we have the example of it just at this point. But notice also the, the place of this providing, the place of this Jehovah Jireh. It is a place that is, is set apart. It is a place that is separated. Uh, and he said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah. And offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And of course, Abraham, we are told in verse 3, arises early in the morning. This is the place that has been set apart. Abraham had to, to go a journey. It was, it was into this land of Moriah. And we are told here that there was a, an altar that was built. Abraham was a, an altar builder. Abraham was the one who, who set up the altars, the places of worship. And friends, that's what we, we need today is, is places of worship. Not that are, are hewn out by hands. Uh, what, what matter these stones? If there are no principles behind the stones. It is the place that is set apart for worship and for the adoration of the Lord. And this is the place where an altar was built. Now we know that Abraham had built others. He, he built altars at Shechem and Bethel and Hebron and Beersheba. Why could he not have gone there to this place? Why did he have to travel from Beersheba? 30 miles over rough terrain to get to Moriah. Why that exact place? Well, friends, there is a, an important reference here. This exact place of, of Moriah 
uh, we are told that it is a symbolic place because we read of this in 2 Chronicles chapter 3. 2 Chronicles chapter 3. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. Now, you, you say, well, what is the significance of the threshing floor at Ornan? This was a place where God met with his people. It was a place of, of judgment. And you will remember from the book of Ruth that, that there, there was the meeting on the threshing floor. God meets on the threshing floor, on the place of Ornan. This was the place of judgment, but it, it must be Moriah that he wants to go to. Now, Moriah might be one of those names that mean little to you and mean little to me. But let me just bring us back now to where Moriah is. Beside Moriah, there is another mount. Beside Moriah, there is Mount Calvary. Mount Calvary. You see, Abraham had to bring Isaac to Mount Moriah to be adjacent to, to Mount Calvary. And you see, Calvary is that place of meeting, that place of judgment where God comes to meet with his people based on perfect judgment. Based on perfect judgment. It was the place of God's provision. Now do we see something of the significance of Jehovah Jireh, the place of God's provision. It was an elevated place. Remember, we are told that they had to go three days' journey. We will sing shortly from Psalm 121. And that Psalm 121 is a, is a song of ascent. As the pilgrims would go up to, to Jerusalem, they would sing that psalm or one of those psalms of ascent. It was uh, John Gill, the commentator, who said that it was not on the mountains of Judea uh, that this place of trial would take place, but on Mount Moriah, on Mount Zion, where the church walls or to heaven the holy hill of God. So the timing of the provision, the place of the provision, the nature of the provision. Verse 13, we see that it was a spontaneous provision. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. 
Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. You know, the, the language is, is surprising, and it might be surprising uh, to us. And it might even have, in some sense, have been uh, surprising to Abraham as well. But God had, by his providence, the one who was Jehovah Jireh, had placed that ram there at that very same time. You see, God is the one who, who ordains the end. And he is the one who has ordained the beginning. And he has ordained everything that comes in between. And friends, let us be clear today. God is the one who in his providence has ordained this, this pestilence. Uh, that, the, that the world is, is, is under. He is the one who has ordained it. Now, there are some and they say, oh, well, how could God ordain such a thing? And of course, the answer to the question in a, in a simple way is this. If he's not sovereign, if he's not sovereign, then you might argue, how could he ordain it? But the scriptures teaches that he is the sovereign God. And he's saying unto men and women uh, that they are to see, I believe, that this is the finger of God. You know, the, the great danger today is uh, not that this, this, this virus, and it seems to have taken less of a turn now than it did, not that this is the end uh, of itself, but that rather many of us were saying during the pandemic that the fear was that the words of the Lord might be appropriate. And those words were that this may be but the beginning of sorrows. And what have we had on the back of that? We've had war. War closer to our own shores than we've ever had before. And what are men and women taking heed of? And I say this to every one of us this morning. There are those, and they are still outside of uh, the, the knowledge and the, uh, the belief that they are trusting in Christ. I say to you this, take warning of these things. Take warning of them. Make your calling and your election sure. But I say to those of us this morning who profess to be the Lord's people, I say this. Let us be very careful that we do not see these things as merely uh, God's chastisement upon the wickedness of nations. God has a, a controversy with the, the nations. He has. Their, their evil laws and their ungodly enactments. Of course, that is true. And that is how God judges nations. He doesn't judge them at the, the end of the, at the great judgment. That's for individuals. He judges nations now in time. And there is a sense in, in which that is true, that there is a judgment upon the nations. Uh, but friends, when you go back into the minor prophets, you read um, Amos and, and, and Hosea, when great cataclysms came upon the land, 
What were they doing? Were they confessing the sins of the nation? Were they confessing other people's sins? No. They were confessing their own. They were covering themselves in sackcloth and ashes. They were confessing their own. And friends, as the Church of Christ, we need to confess our, our own sins. And this Jehovah Jiri here, this, this promise of God came at a most apposite time. It was a God-made provision. We, we read that in, in verse uh, 8. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. There is the provision. There is the expectation. There is the faith that Abraham had. And God provided himself that offering. But we know that the blood of bulls and of goats could never take away sin. We know that it was Jehovah Jireh who would provide the ransom for sinners. It was a complete provision. It was Jehovah Jireh. There was nothing left for Abraham to provide. There the lamb was in the thicket. And our time is, is going, and I'll just briefly wind up. It was an effective provision. Verse 13, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. How do we know that this was a perfect provision? Well, for a lamb to be offered as a sacrifice, it had to be scrutinized minutely to see if there was any defect. And indeed, at the times later on, as the pilgrims would go up to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices, there were, there were those, and they were at the outskirts of Jerusalem. And that was the, their occupation. It was to, to raise lambs for the sacrifice. And when the lamb was, was, was raised, the uh, special priests would come and they would scrutinize each lamb minutely to see that there was no infelicity in the lamb. And then as the lamb was passed over, the feet of the lamb was wrapped in white material, preparing it for the sacrifice. You know what that white material was called? Swaddling bands. Swaddling bands. The one who is the Lamb of God, even at his birth, was so wrapped in those swaddling bands, there was a preparation for his death. It was a, an effective provision. And it was a costly provision. Well, friends, this morning we just leave you with these thoughts. What was the attitude to this provision? Well, the attitude to this provision was that there was a great consciousness of faith. Abraham had belief in God, the provider. And we see that in verses 7 and 8 and Isaac spoke unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. 
And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. There was confidence that the Lord held the future in the palms of his hands. Friends, whatever the trial might be, whatever the difficulty might be, Jehovah Jiri is there now, and he's there in the future. And there was, a, there was an obvious joy. Of course, there was an obvious joy. That is, that is undoubted, and there was undoubted thanksgiving that the Lord could be seen and revealed himself to be seen as Jehovah Jiri. Now, Abraham's faith, we can see here at this point, is a strong faith. Abraham, we know, didn't always have a strength of faith like that. And you're not to be discouraged this morning if you come to measure yourself against this man's faith uh, and you say how inadequate I am. He did not always have this strength of faith. We know when he went down to Egypt of what he embarked on there. We know all of that. But what we do know is here that God has revealed himself afresh in a distinctive way to Abraham. So that in the future he would say and be able to say in an even more certain and confident way, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. For the Lord will see and others will see in the Lord's providing. Well, friends, you are to look this morning at your needs past Mount Moriah, and you are to look unto Mount Calvary, and you are to see the provision of Christ there for you. And that is where your hope is to be, and my hope is to be, to take us through the trials and the difficulties of this life. We are sojourners here. We are pilgrims. You know, the idea of a pilgrim is he's, he's one on a long journey. And it's almost as if the words that came to the one of old might indeed be an encouragement to us this morning. You will remember as he, as he, as he lay and he was told to arise and eat. And he didn't arise and eat. And then you will remember the second time he was told to arise and eat because the journey was too great for him. The journey of this life is too great for us. It's too great for us. And that is why we are to lay hold upon the provisions and the promises as they are set out in the word of the Lord. And we pray that the Lord will bless his word to us this morning for his name's sake. Let us pray. Our gracious and our eternal God, we draw now into thy presence afresh. Another time in the courts of thy house is ebbing away. And we are mindful that we are ebbing away with it. But we thank thee that 
Now, thy provisions and thy care and thy mercy to us are abundant. Now, for they are all in Christ Jesus. Never, blessed Lord, we pray this morning that thou would follow with thy blessing all that has been said and done. And if there has been anything said or done amiss, ah, oh, we pray that thou would pass it into the backs of the forgetfulness of thy people, that we would see the graciousness of thy words, even in the crumbs that fall from the master's table, even in the inadequacy of sermons that are preached and delivered aright and amiss. Nevertheless, Lord, thou art mindful of thine own. So go before us and accept of us. And all we ask is in the Redeemer's name and for his sake. Amen.